of my heart. So it's an honor. Some of you I'm seeing that weren't here yesterday, so it's good to see you guys today, people like Brian and some others around the room. So I just want to say hi to all of you and, and just bless you and really glad that you guys are here. I'm, I'm really excited to share uh, with you something that I really believe that I, I, I kind of opened the door a little bit last night with some of it. And, and for those of you that weren't here, I, I, I just shared um, just a prophetic word for the church. And, and I believe it was already just confirming things you guys already know. And I believe even today what I'm going to share with you is stuff that you're already experiencing. I know wherever Shirley is, I know you already are just based on the conversation you and I had yesterday. And I believe even Rob was experiencing it in worship when I looked over at him. I'm like, Lord, what's going on over there? So I just believe that what I'm going to share this morning is already going to bring confirmation to what some of you are already sensing by the Spirit of the Lord. And, and I want you guys to know that oftentimes at the beginning of the year, the Lord will give me a word for His people. It's, it's not necessarily limited to a specific congregation. Last night was. When I was here and I was telling you about that word from Job about is there hope for a tree and out of the stump of this tree, though it was cut down, a shoot is springing up and that's Gateway Fellowship. The real Gateway Fellowship is emerging. And listen, and I was talking to Brian, maybe the Spirit will take me there this morning, Brian, but I, when, I, when I talked about things being lopped down and how some things needed to go, I was not talking about some of the loss you've experienced here. And there is a time to grieve. You guys know that. Which tells me two things. One, it's okay. And two, there's an expiration date on it. And when it goes beyond its expiration date, that's when we open the door to things like bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and things like that. I bless those people. I wish them well. We went through it at our own church. I mean, when the Holy Spirit fell in 2010, there was a mass exodus. But it just so happens that this church has felt not just one, but many. And I'm, not, and I'm not saying we live in denial of that. We're not closing our eyes and stuffing our ears and, like, and just trying to ignore what happened. We're not making light of that. And like, guys, we're walking through that together. And we need to celebrate what is and not just continually mourn what was. And there I'm telling you, like, and I'm not saying this to blow smoke, guys. Like, I am overwhelmed by the, by, I don't want to even say energy. That's not the right word. I'm overwhelmed by the presence here. In, in the room. I'm overwhelmed by the worship. I'm overwhelmed by the hearts. I'm overwhelmed by just um, the excitement that I see here. And, and I honestly haven't felt that way since the Holy Spirit first fell here all those years ago in 2012. So it tells me that there's a buzz, that there's a stir, that God is up to something. He's always doing new things. And one of the things I see God doing in the body of Christ today is I am watching him bring us back to what matters most. And we are allowing things to matter more that don't matter most. And he is stripping so much away so that we come back to the simplicity that's found in Christ Jesus. The Christian life, guys, is highlighted in 2 Corinthians 11 where, where Paul is talking about that I'm concerned for you with a godly jealousy. Would you say that Paul was concerned about the people in his stead? Would you agree with me? He made mention of these guys often in his prayers. And his chief concern was that in the same way Eve was led astray, all right, by the deception of the enemy. And I'm going to tell you right now, what the enemy did was he utilized what First Peter highlights, talking about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. She saw that the fruit was a delight to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. It was good for food. It's the lust of the flesh. That it was good to make one wise or was able to make one wise apart from God. That's the pride of life. And that's all pride is, is I can manage my life just fine without you, God. 
And this is, what he, this is what the enemy did, whether you realize it or not. And this is my concern at large in the body of Christ, is because Paul goes on to say that I am concerned in the same way that Eve was led astray. Your minds are being led astray from the simplicity that's found in the purity of your devotion to Jesus. Guys, it's supposed to be simple. It's devoted to the one I love. All of the fruit of our ministry and what's going to last is because it's done from the place of love. It alarms me to think, guys, that there are some in the end that could stand before him. And, and it doesn't say that they're not going to be saved. It says they'll be saved as though through fire, it says in 1 Corinthians 3. But what they thought they did in his name was really about their name. And that's all going to get burned up. And I have zero interest in that. I want all that I do to be the place from love and not because of... Now watch. So Paul's concern is this. He says that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity of devotion that's found in Christ. How was it led astray? Guys, it was really simple in the garden, was it not? They walked with him. They heard him. They were obedient to him. They loved him. His presence brought them delight and everything else. The enemy highlighted to Eve what the tree could do for her. And if anyone comes and preaches a different Jesus, Paul says, that is not the Jesus Paul preached. Do you see the deception and the twist? Come to Jesus because he's in the jalopy business and he will fix up your life. And then we're only doing as well as our prayers being answered. And how come he's not changing this family member? And how, no, he's given you the ability to rise above that. In this life, you will have trouble. But take courage, I've overcome the world. It's found in a higher perspective, a higher vantage point of understanding this is not about me. You're to come and you're to die. It's not about what he can do for you. It's about the love that he has for me and from that place, the love that I have for him. We are not preaching, come. See, there's churches packed out right now and I'm not opposed to it. They're my brothers and sisters, so I do not want to come across with an edge. And listen, can I tell you something? He wants to do those things in our lives. But it's the wrong cell. So we're keeping something alive that is supposed to die. As we come to him, we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow after him. And I feel like, guys, he's bringing us back. To, and you can feel it in the room. I, listen, I told you last night, you can't manufacture the worship that's happening. You can feel it in the room. There's something in here that says, I just want to touch him. I just, and when you touch him, I said it last night, when you touch his heart, he moves his hand. But a lot of times we're trying to get his hand to move. And listen, what kind of relationship was that? What, what, if, all, what if you were in relationship with people that the only reason they were in relationship with you was because what they could, you could do for them? What kind of relationship is that? That's not why I'm married to my wife. I'm not doing the dishes. I'm the dishes guy in the house. I don't know if there's any men here. My wife is not a huge fan of unloading and loading the dishwasher. I don't mind it. But I'm not doing that in hopes, in an effort to store up credit to spend that on me one day. I'm doing that because I love my wife. I'm not doing it because it's if I scratch her back, she'll scratch mine. Like, that's not relationship. And I'm not in relationship with Jesus in hopes that, like, he's not my slot machine, guys. Guys, do you understand? There were people that were constantly wanting a sign. And he said, you know what? Not doing that anymore. And now the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Now, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of the Queen of the South or whatever it was. But his point was, there are some that are just constantly following, following him because he satisfied a need. And at some point, it's got to get deeper than that. Because if your relationship is all about him satisfying your needs, it's going to keep you at a distance. The lepers cried out from a distance. 
Son of David, have mercy on us. He healed them and only one came back and thanked him. Because there's so many people that are just, they have no, they just want, it's all about what he can do for them. Does this make sense to you guys? So it's, it's, it's not that he doesn't want to do those things. He wants to bring restoration. Listen, he has wired this thing in such a way that everything in this life is found in him. Your peace, your joy, if you need healing, it's in Him. If you need provision, it's in Him. If you need significance, it's in Him. If you're looking for your why behind your what, it's in Him. It's all in Him, and we're living for Him and through Him and because of Him and all of that different stuff. But it's out of relationship with Him. It's not because of what He can do for me. See, we quote these verses and their catchphrases, well, we love because He first loved us. Well, please tell me how that first happened. How did he first love you? That's it, girl. That's it. That's the simplicity of this message. Can I tell you something? We know more about portals and shofars than we do about the simplicity that's found in Christ dying on a cross. We have gotten weird with the mystical side of the, of the, the Christianity. And God is wanting to strip it back to this reality of Christ crucified, period. That's the only thing Paul purposed in his heart to know. That's the one he showed up to display and convey by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who Jesus is to you. Why he died for you. The new life you can have in him. That you're no longer a sinner, but that you're raised from the dead. That you're a son of God. That you're a saint. That you can be spirit-filled and live in freedom. That you're actually a new creation and old things passed away and new things have come. I don't think the way I used to think, guys. Old appetites are gone. New desires are there. I can't sin anymore and get away with it. There's a desire in my heart, guys. There are things that are in my life that never were there until he touched me. I actually want to please him. I actually want to love him. And loving him, guys, is not a chore. It's the highest call of your life to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's not pressure. If you love something more than him, he's wired in such a way that you'll always be dissatisfied. It's just simply loving him. Well, how do you do that? Well, he demonstrates his love in this way. That while you were yet a sinner, Christ died. In this is love. Not that you loved him, but that he first loved you and gave himself up to be a propitiation, the substitute for your sins. There is only one place, biblically speaking, that I see love in abundance, and it's when we encounter the reality that we are forgiven much. And I don't care, you didn't necessarily have to be, a, listen, everybody in this room sinned and fell short of what we were all originally called to walk in. You need to have an encounter with the fact that your ledger was read and he completely blotted that out. And that will do something to you. Whether you realize it or not, the whole reason why you're in this thing is because the kindness of God gripped your heart. And that is it, and that's it, period. And he's bringing us back to that reality, and I'll show it to you biblically here in a moment. But Romans 2.4 is poignant. It's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. I am telling you, you can disagree with me, the kindness of God is the marriage of his grace and mercy. Mercy is I don't get what I deserve, and grace is I get what I don't deserve. It's like this. I was in West Virginia. I was coming back from a ministry trip a couple weeks ago. I took three youth with me, and and, uh, the girl that I have a lot of times play keys behind me, and she led worship for me. We were driving back. I get pulled over. I'm 15 minutes in the trip. I'm like, this is embarrassing. 
All I can think about is what a great example for the kids, right? I get pulled over. The cop's like, sir, do you have any idea how fast you were going? I said, when I saw you, I think I was doing 65. He said, you were doing 73 and a 55. I said, okay. Now, some of you are thinking, man, that's nothing. I'm doing 80 wherever I can. And some of you are like, that's really fast. There's like no gray area there. Either some of you were above it or some of you were falling below it. So he said, in a, in a hurry to get home, huh? Or I forget what he said. He said, in a hurry to get home. I said, yeah, I said, I was doing ministry. I wasn't pulling the ministry card. Tim said, oh, the old ministry card, huh? I said, I was doing ministry all weekend. I said, I'm excited to get home to my wife and kids. He probably thought I was a kook. There's kids in the back seat and a woman next to me that's old enough to be my wife. He probably thought I was trying to pull a fast one on him. And so, but the point is this. It would be merciful if he didn't give me a ticket. And it would be gracious if he actually gave me the amount that I owed. And he paid me the amount that I should have owed. That's to me what kindness is. And when that reality touches you, and if you have not had an encounter yet with the kindness of the Lord, you desperately need one. Because it will change your mind about who you're living for and why you're living. He defines your why and your what. He defines your identity and your purpose. So the Lord said to me at the beginning of the year, He said, I want to capture you with what first captured you, grip you with what first gripped you, and captivate you with what first captivated you. And I said, okay. Now what I'm about to tell you isn't limited to just 365 days in the year. When the Lord speaks a word, people say, well, this, is the, this is the word for the year 2019. It's the, it's the word for however long it takes for it to accomplish the reason for which it was sent. And until it does that, it's still the word. So if there are things that were spoken in 2018 that still haven't manifested yet, God's still at work doing it. There's things behind the scenes that are happening. But there's a story in the Bible about a man named Peter. Luke chapter 5. He's out fishing. A lot of you guys know the story. This is what he was trained and taught to do for his entire life. Jesus shows up and gets in his boat because this is exactly what Jesus wants to do in the lives of individuals. That boat represents a lot to me. That boat represents Peter's livelihood, how he made ends meet. It represented his life. And it's not by chance that Jesus gets in his boat and says, put out a little ways, and he begins teaching. And he asks them, hey, boys, have you not caught anything? They said, no, we were fishing all night. For those of you that don't know, fishing was done in the nighttime. So they come back in the daytime, and they're cleaning their nets. They struck out. Jesus says, put out a little ways and let down your net. You know the story. They catch an incredible catch. It says their nets were breaking. And guys, it's insanity for Jesus to say, put down your nets on this side. I just don't see how fish are suddenly not on this side and appearing on this side. The whole point is simply this. When you obey, it releases abundance. And don't you ever forget that. And my wife and I are seeing the abundance happen in our life. We are in the sweet spot of the Lord and stepping out and doing the things that we're doing. He, it's amazing to me how he fills in the gaps. When you just obey. When you think this month we're not going to make ends meet and a random check shows up in your mailbox and you're not advertising need but the one who knows that he knows what you need before you ask. It's amazing to me. And there's so much freedom in that. That's why my ministry is called Faith Like Birds. I think if we had a revelation of how valuable we are we would live a whole lot less fearful. So Peter brings in this catch. History records it would have been roughly a ton of fish. That's two weeks worth of fishing. Which makes this next statement and what happens all the more powerful that that Peter is willing to walk away from the greatest moment of his life 
How much money could he have made off of that? Because you know why? This is why this is, a lot of us are living for some of the wrong things that don't matter most. So Peter, Jesus, and I love this. So the glory of God was demonstrated in this miracle, was it not? Light was revealed. Jesus performs this incredible miracle. And here's the thing. Kindness was demonstrated to Peter. He falls down at Jesus' feet, says, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Maybe what Peter didn't know about himself up to that point was revealed in that miracle. Now, you know this. Jesus, was, Jesus wasn't like, oh, my gosh. I had no idea. I must be barking up the wrong tree. I better go down the river here a little bit. Is he telling him something Jesus didn't know? Isn't it profound that in spite of him being in that condition, Jesus still performs this amazing miracle? That miracle brings Peter to his knees because Peter didn't deserve that and he still got it anyway. So Peter was shown this incredible kindness. Jesus says, follow me. Matthew's version says, immediately he dropped his net and began following him. Walked away from the greatest moment of his life. Captivated by the kindness and the glory of God. Guys, Honestly, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense other than he encountered something that he's never encountered before in his life and it did something to his heart. We need these moments with God. We need to encounter his grace, his mercy, his love. That's what transforms God, the guys, the human heart. Not our ability to intellectualize and try to convince them and persuade them. They need an encounter with God. And Peter, listen, it, it, he, he, he didn't deserve any of that. He was a sinful man. And he's like, okay, I'll just start following him. And you know how Peter's. Peter is one of my favorite disciples in in the Bible. A lot of times he's getting ahead of himself, putting his foot in his mouth. But there's one thing you can't deny. The man was at least willing to try. And I'm telling you, that to me is humility. Willing to look stupid. Willing to put yourself out there on a limb. Willing to at least make the effort. But Peter got to this place. He's the one who received the revelation, right, in Matthew 16. He got this revelation that Jesus is saying, who do people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're this prophet. And this is what, he was, this is what they were saying. There's a whole lot of people saying a whole lot of things about you. And that's true even in the church. There's a whole lot of people saying a whole lot of things about who he is and what he does and what he doesn't do. And we need to know that's the greatest question Jesus will ever ask you. Who do you say that I am? That is personal and it never changes. You need to find out who he is to you and why he is. And the more you encounter him, the greater... Listen, there are so many encounters that are waiting. Abraham, up to that point when Abraham's ready to sacrifice uh, Isaac, nobody knew God as Jehovah Jireh up to that point. But in his obedience, he encountered an aspect and a facet of God's attribute in nature. That the longer we walk with him, the more we taste and see, the more we want. That's how we sustain hunger as Christians. In the natural, when you don't eat, you get hungry. But when you eat on the Lord and feast on the Lord, the hungrier you get, the more you want. So a lot of us, guys, we are just simply the byproduct of the knowledge. That's why I love that prayer Paul's praying in Ephesians 1. In the knowledge of him, everything is in the knowledge of God. When we see, when the eyes of our heart see who he is, they shine. That's all God is wanting to do is increase the wattage of your light. The more you see, the brighter you shine. The more you understand, the more you'll 
you'll manifest. But Peter, he comes and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm messing Butch's camera work up here. He's like, I'm zooming. I'm like. (laughs) And it was from that time on that Jesus began to plainly tell them what that meant. That he was going to die, suffer at the hands of the rulers and the, the high priests. And Peter made some fascinating statements. I'll go with you. I'll go to prison for you. I'll die with you. And you know how the story goes. He has his moment. He has his opportunity. And guys, listen to me. It is so subtle what we can love more than him. Even our own life. There, I, and I can't get into it, guys. I, there are people all around the world right now dying for their faith and they're not dying because it's an idea. You can't die for a doctrine, but you'll lay your life down for somebody you loved. And Jesus proved, proved that. In our generation, it was Cassie Bernal. For anybody in the room that remembers Columbine. And there are people all around the world, people that I'm following. I've been listening to Daniel Kalenda and you know, there's a romantic side of Christianity that a lot of us see. Daniel Kalenda is simply Reinhard Bonnke's heir. He's the one who's taken over the ministry now of Reinhard Bonnke. And he said, you guys watch on the screen and you see all these people come to the Lord in Nigeria and millions and thousands. He's like, what you don't see is the moment some of them walk off that field, they're murdered instantly. And we forget that our faith has advanced by blood of the blood of the martyrs. And I'm as serious as a heart attack when I say that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, and when we don't love our own life. See, you can love yourself more than Him. And I have no time for that. I have no time for loving my comfort and my flesh more than Him. I think if you were to ask some of the disciples that were martyred and quartered by horses and boiled alive and skinned alive, and if they could have a do-over, would they do it different? I think they'd laugh in our face. What were some of these guys living for that wanted a better resurrection and preferred to stay in prison rather than get out? Those aren't stories to me. See, but if I'm preaching, come to Jesus because of what he can do for you, you would never lay down your life for somebody like that. You just want him to be your table waiter and your busboy. You just want him to make everything better. And what we're not doing is empowering people to live above their circumstances. I've gotten to the place in the Lord where I am less concerned about who's offending me. I'm more concerned about why I'm offended. Why is that an issue? Why does that bother me? When Jesus never allowed sin against him to produce sin in him. When it talks about that in 1 Peter 2, it's not talking about sinless perfection. What he's saying was he never reacted in a way in which he was being treated. And a lot of times that's how we operate. That's what makes sense to us. Tit for tat. And how could you do that for me and you wrong me? I want to get to the place where I am genuinely weeping for those individuals. Because that's love's response. It covers a multitude of sin. So Peter has this revelation. He says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He has his opportunity to actually, listen, guys, can I tell you something? We've all made a lot of promises to him. We find out it's possible for the sick to be healed. I'll pray for every sick person I see. And five wheelchairs go by. The next one. Lord, if you do this, then I'll do this for you. I promise to never be that way again. We've, listen, we've all made promises that some of us haven't kept. 
We may not be like Peter that when he's confronted with this, this servant girl and asked three times, are you, weren't you the one with him? And he denied. And listen, guys, there are times where just intimidation gets the best of us. And we find out, you know what? Maybe I'm trying to protect my image, my reputation. I'm concerned about what they think. That's why I'm telling you guys, the older I get in the Lord, the less concerned I am with what he's doing through me, the more concerned I am with what he's doing in me. And I want his attitude. Don't you ever forget the secret of his life and what he was doing was in his inner disposition. And when I read in Philippians 2 that he was a man of no reputation who emptied himself, who never used who he was for his own purpose and gain, that does something to me. What I want with the Lord more than anything else is to have a very pure heart. That moves God. That causes those that have such things to see him, according to Matthew 5. I can't look you in the eye and tell you every motive in my life is clean. I can't. I, w- I want it to be. And I understand I can't give myself what only he can give. Grace comes to the one who says, I can't. That is a never... And when you think, well, I will do this. See, guys, when the Bible says, come to me all who are weary and tired, who's that? Everybody that's trying really hard. There's a lot of Christians, it's not so much the sin they're fighting in their life, it's they so desperately want to be something different than they are. They don't want to be angry anymore. They don't want to do this. They want to love more. And they beat themselves up. The enemy has tricked them and has gotten to think, well, if you do this or work a little bit harder, try a little bit harder, and we fall right back into performance because that's natural to us. I was doing that, didn't even realize I was doing that. My wife had a vision a month ago. She said, I see you wearing a fisherman's vest and there's lead weights in all the pockets. I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, the Lord says you need to take the pressure off. And I didn't realize that when I was traveling and doing ministry, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to get God to show up. And now I can say I stand up here and regardless, I, I am so at rest that I understand he... I can sit here, I'm opening my mouth, but like the bottom line is unless he comes, I can't make him do anything. But when I believe him, when I trust him, the lower I go, all of that different stuff. To, when the Bible says, take my yoke upon you, that'd be a wooden beam that people would use to harness animals, oftentimes of equal strength, to pull a load or to plow a line. Or You're equally yoked to the Lord when you're yoked to his grace and he's yoked to your surrender. If you're trying to do it in your own strength, you're struggling and you're pulling on that yoke. And he's asking, what are you doing? If all you are, now watch this. Because the enemy was doing this and I didn't realize it. I'm taking a detour here. We're rabbit trailing. Tim does it. You guys are okay with it. (laughs) If I'm with my wife and all I am conscious of is what's wrong with me and where I'm missing it as a husband, I'll never enjoy her. And she can't enjoy me because I'm not there. If I'm before the Lord and all I can think about is where I'm falling short as his son, what I want to see changed, I'll never enjoy him. He can't enjoy me because I'm not there. But when I delight in him and enjoy him, that's when he gives me... Listen, my desire and his desire kissed. Do you think he wants me to have his attitude? 
Do you think he wants me to have his humility? These are things I've been praying for. Do you think he wants me to love him more? I'm not asking for gifts. I'm not asking for finances. All I want is to be like him, to know him. All the treasures are found in him. That's what I'm living for. And I have found the greatest book that I've read in a long, long, long time. It's probably about this thick, and it's called Humility by Andrew Murray. And it messes me up every time I read it. And it's the greatest thing, don't you ever forget, Jesus ever taught. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am meek and humble of heart. Do you know he said things like this? I didn't come on my own initiative. My words are not my own. My teaching is not my own. How many people we have taken credit for their teaching? I can do nothing unless I see him do it. My will is not my own. Sounds like he modeled what absolute surrender and dependency looked like. And you will only find satisfaction when you're living according to the reason why you were here in the first place. And I feel like for the first time in a long time, I'm in the sweet spot of God. See, and I'm not talking about hyper grace and greasy grace and, hey, if he wants to do it, he'll do it. Mm -mm. What I'm saying is I understand the absolute need for me to get low. Do you know water always flows to the lowest place? And I said to the Lord, form in me the humility that your light and Holy Spirit are attracted to. I am among you as the one who serves. This is Jesus' words. So Peter has this opportunity. He denies the Lord three times. We're familiar with the story. And what I love is if you actually look in your Bible, in John chapter 21, Peter makes this incredible statement. He says to his, the other disciples, I'm going where? I'm going fishing. Because men have the unique ability that when they feel like they fail, when they feel like they're disappointed and disqualified, depressed, anxious, they go back to what they know how to do because that's safe and comfortable. But you weren't created for that life. Jesus said, you'll be fishers of men. So he goes out, he begins fishing again, and guess what happens? He catches nothing because you'll never be fruitful in the life you were never called to. If you're not seeing fruit abound in your life, maybe you're wearing a hat you're not supposed to be wearing. Maybe you're doing somebody else's job. But the bottom line is you can't do it anyway without him. So he's going back to doing what he tried to do originally without him. But here's the thing. Jesus shows up, performs the same miracle that first grabbed Peter. So God is wanting to do again in our lives what it is that first grabbed you in the first place. He is taking us back to the simplicity. Guys, do you remember I said it last night, what it was like? Can anybody in the room, some of us can, say my heart is more on fire than it was when I first met him? Do you remember what it was like that when you first met him and encountered him, how alive you felt? 
How all you thought about was him and you smiled and all you wanted to do was read the word and all you wanted to do was tell everybody about the person you met. Guys, when the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, and I understand that historically happened, happened, but there is things we can glean because guys, my goodness, the enemy hasn't changed any of his tactics. But we do not realize how great of a fall it is when you leave and you walk away from your first love. Nobody wakes up and says one day, no, I'm just going to be backslidden. That is not where it starts. It's not a small fall. It's a great fall when you walk away from that reality. When something takes his place. Because you know what the biggest question that I hear God asking the church? Please do not hear pressure or condemnation. It's the same question that he asked Peter. And it was this, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Isn't that fascinating that the number one question Jesus asks, the biggest thing on his mind, and he's not asking this question to settle the score of three denials. I've heard that preached, and I'm not even saying that that's necessarily wrong. And if you actually study it out, the Greek word that he's using there is the word eros. Actually, it's using the word uh, agapao, which is the verb form of agape. But Peter's replying, saying, I love you, with the, the word uh, phileo, which is more of the brotherly kind of love, and I'm not going to get into all of that. But the bottom line is this. He asks him, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? You know what I love? Is that Jesus doesn't show up and say, I told you so. He has no interest in talking to you about what you already beat yourself up about. He's not coming and saying, yeah, see, you were talking a big game, weren't you, buddy? You didn't believe me. I told you that was going to happen. Now look at the mess you're in. Guess I should have went with my gut early on when you told me you were a sinful man. Guess I chose the wrong guy. Do you understand that Jesus is not threatened by promises you never kept? And you are not disqualified. Can I tell you something? The, father, the fact that it even grieves you shows you where your heart is. I know that ringtone. <laughs> Give it to the youth. They'll figure it out. They know how to change it. They'll teach you everything about that. It's so funny. There's a guy at our church that actually has one of the students tutoring him on how to use Instagram. It's, it's funny to me. But here's, here's the thing. Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? You know what I used to, you know how I used to read that? But again, he uses the same miracle. Listen, guys, Peter denied him three times. In one of the versions of the gospel, it talks about how Jesus' eyes met with his. I, I, I'd be a mess. I, I mean... I mean, put yourself in that situation. And he's not showing up to go, "Mm, tsk, 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 tsk. Because he's abounding in loving kindness, slow to anger. Peter, I prayed for you that when you're restored, what was going to restore Peter again? The same kindness he encountered the first time. Do you realize the first time he encountered the Lord's kindness, he left everything. The second time, Peter eventually gave up his life. 
And he really did love him all the way. See, the, the fruit of our love is our obedience, but the evidence, the true evidence of our love is found in what we're willing to let go of. Because greater love has no one than this, than he that lays his life down. What I hold on to, I lose. What I let go of, I find. And life is in him. It's found in him. But here's the thing. Do you love me more than these? Now, I used to read that and be like, oh, he's just talking about the other disciples that are there. Do you love me more than these guys? What if he's talking about the fish he just brought in? Which symbolized Peter's ministry. Which symbolized Peter's call. What if he's ultimately saying, do you love me more than what I've asked you to do? Do you love me more than the gifts you operate in? Do you love me more than your ministry? Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than your wife, your husband, your children? Because I said it yesterday, Jesus said some really intense things. Not because he was hard-nosed and because he had issues and because he was jealous and full of pride and insecure. But when he's sitting there saying, unless you, if you love your mother and father more than me, you're not worthy of me. I told you yesterday, what he is saying is what you love the most, you're going to serve most. And I told you, it's not that he doesn't want me to love my mom and dad. It's not that he doesn't want me to love my children. I love them best when I love him most. And as, 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 as elementary as this might sound, I mean, you had Jen up here saying, I feel like the Lord just wants you guys to know that he loves you, that he loves you, that he loves you. That he, and all I could think to myself was, that's the message. We're wanting the deep things. And yet the depth is found in his love. The height, the breadth, the length, and the depth is in his love. To know that love was Paul's goal. And if it was good enough for Paul, and if Paul's praying it for the church at Ephesus, it's good enough for me. So you know what I've been doing a lot lately? I've just been sitting there thinking about how amazing Jesus' forgiveness really is. And there was a woman that went, but she had the same revelation by faith. She saw what a Pharisee could not. And Jesus looked at her and said, woman, your sins are forgiven. And don't you see, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. Do you know the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that there are certain qualities that should be ours and increasing and abounding. And if they're not, we've become blind and short-sighted and have forgotten our former purification of our sins. So encountering God's love, which is the primary way he demonstrated through the forgiveness found on the cross, we abound in qualities that are increasing, things like diligence and faithfulness and things that 2 Peter 1 talk about. But I am convinced, and I've been experiencing it, and I know surely I think you would agree, that the primary thing that Jesus is doing this year, listen, I told you last night, he wants you to love him. He wants you to love him. You are presently, Paul said, I have betrothed you as a pure virgin to one husband. When did you become a pure virgin? When all of your spots, wrinkles, and blemishes were taken care of on the cross. What you do now with your present engagement, see to me, I told you last night, when my wife got engaged, I was looking to that day. 
anybody that's ever been engaged would say, I was anticipating that day. Maybe for more reasons than one. Come on. Tim said we're family. If our love is not... Guys, he's coming back for virgins who have their lamps lit. Let's not complicate it. That's passionate love. When a man proposed to a Jewish woman, his father would come along with him with this jug or container of wine. The son would have a cup. He'd pour wine in the cup. He'd hand it to the girl that he was wanting to propose to and would use language like this. This is a covenant that I want to make with you. This is basically all what's mine is yours and would hand her this cup and she would take and drink and that's how she would say, I do. That would be the acceptance. The man would then take the cup. He would drink it and that was the way of sealing the engagement. He would go on to say, I'm going to go back and prepare a place for you. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be done. When it's finished, I'm going to come for you. A friend's going to come along with me. He's going to blow a trumpet and when that trumpet is blown and when I see that light in that window, I'll know that window is yours and I'll take you to myself. That sounds a lot like your Bible. But you know what's amazing to me? Jesus made this comment. I'm not going to drink this cup with you again until I drink it new in my Father's kingdom, which means what? The engagement and the proposal is still open. It didn't just end there. For everyone who still says yes, and then when he drinks it, we will enter in like Jacob was singing it. We'll hear the wedding bells ring. Guys, that does something to me. Well, that's weird. You're a man and he's a man. It has nothing to do with that. It's spirit to spirit. No, I'm very okay with that. Why is God wanting to perform again in our life what first gripped you? Why is he wanting to take you back to that moment again? Because that's when you were at your best. I mentioned Ephesians 2. I'll end here. Do you know that they had everything rocking and rolling? Do you know they put false apostles to the test? you know they hated the teaching of the Nicolaitans? It's where we get the word Nike from. It's where we get the word victory. It's where people would... The, the powers that be would exercise authority over them and keep people dependent on leadership and stuff like that. And our goal, Tim and my goal, is to take you to him, not to us. Take you by the hand to him. They hated sin. They were zealous. They said God saw their perseverance and toil, that even in the hard times they were still okay. They were doing everything right. Do you understand that we can go through the motions in here and be doing everything clean and have it look spotless and everything else and not have a heart that burns? He is more... Isn't it funny that that's the first church he writes to? That maybe that's the most important thing? That maybe a burning heart and passionate heart that's in love, even though the person's not perfect, but they can at least say, he's won me, he's gripped me, he's all I want? is more important than our ability to despise sin, to put false apostles to the test, to have the worship rocking and rolling and the preaching polished? Could it be a burning heart's more important than right living? Could it be that that's what he's concerned with and is after more than anything else because his heart burns for you? Why is he bringing us back to that place? Because he's asking the question, do you love me? He genuinely... And he wasn't saying it from the... like he. Even when, even when, when, when Jesus is saying to, to Philip, when he says, have I been with you so long you don't know me? He's not saying that sternly. He's not like, boy, when are you going to get it? Haven't I been with you? See, like if we're not careful, we're reading language from a filter because of what we've experienced in life. 
I can promise you Jesus is not like that. If anything, tears are in his eyes and he's pleading and saying, have I been with you this long? And that's a problem. That some of us have said we've been with him for a long time and we still don't really fully know his heart yet. But when we know his heart and when we see it through the cross, it does something. There's an ignition. There's something that happens. We burn and we're combustible. And I'm my most effective when I burn. I told those prisoners, when I went into a prison in May. They wanted me to come down and, and minister to these inmates. I was slightly intimidated to go in there and do that. I've never done that before. And the guy that brought me in, he was a seminary friend, Tim. He was a cha- he's a chaplain down there at this medium-level corrections facility in, in uh, Cumberland, Maryland, the FCI, Cumberland, Maryland. I want you to come in. I want you to minister to inmates four times. You're going to do four sessions. I'm like, okay. And he said, pray about it. I'm like, maybe that's my out. I'll pray about it. And the moment I thought that, the Lord said, if that was a church asking you to come, you wouldn't have even said that. And I said, you're right. Guess I'm going. But it's when he reminded me, he said, when I was in prison, you came to see me. So I already knew he was there. And I stood up in front of those guys and I admitted to them. I said, I was a little intimidated. I said, I've never done anything like this before. Personal one-on-one visits? Yeah, but hardened criminals? No. And I said, why am I here? Because the guy told me, I can't pay you. So I'm leaving my family for a whole weekend to go into this place. And there's no guards in the room. No. And I said, why would I come in here? And they're just kind of looking at me. I said, because when you love him, you love what he loves. And I said, I'm here because he told me he'd be here. His word says that when I look in your eyes, I see him. And I'll tell you what, man, we saw so many amazing things. A guy who was shot said, you'll never walk straight, was walking straight. I didn't even touch him. And I preached on the Father's love. And I said, you know what? Jesus wants to show off right now. He doesn't want you to just hear about it. He wants to show it to you. Stand up if you have pain in your body. There was a room of 60 of them. 34, 35 of them got healed instantly like that. That's kindness that will mess you up. Now you're marked. What are you going to do? When somebody can say I was this and now I'm that, that's, that's amazing to me. So what is Jesus up to this year? I want to captivate you again. Because I liked it when you really burned for me. And I miss you. And I want to be first in your life. Not because I'm insecure, but that's when your life is at its best. When I love him most, I'm at my best. When other things matter more, I'm susceptible to the condition of those things. And if they're not doing well, I'm not doing well. If I need my kids to be perfect, I'm not doing well. If I need my possessions to be in good condition, I'm not doing well. If I need my ministry to be rocking and rolling, I'm not doing well. If I need people to see me and notice me and esteem me and give me credit, I'm not doing well. I'm living for something that I'm not created to live for. Jesus is bringing back his church to the place where they love him. And you know what? Where he's loved, he will be. He will be in the midst of us. He could have any other throne in the world. He said, nah, I think I'll just take the praises of my people. He could be sitting on a throne of ivory right now. Now, when there, and you know what? It, when, you, when you study out that Hebrew word, which is tahila, 
It's the words, it's talking about spontaneous praise. Not pre-programmed, it erupts from the inside out. You are amazing to me. I love you with every fiber of my being. Thanks for being who you are to me. The new song. He said, I'll come riding on that and I'll dwell in the midst of my people. Because when you touch his heart, you move his hand. Amen? Does this make sense to you guys? Yeah. Uh, he Listen, he grabbed Peter. He did it again. And Peter went the distance because of what he encountered again. It's a love that doesn't just level out. I've been married for 15 years. I love my wife more than I ever have the day I met her. We dated too, so we've been together for 17. And it's not because I'm like, I'm going to love her. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Mm-mm. And I don't love her because she has this unique ability to bake me cakes or something. She does a good job of that. Why did you first fall in love with your spouse to begin with? Think about it. It's because of who they are. Not because of what they didn't even know what they could do yet. Why did you fall in love with Jesus? Back to simplicity. Back to basics. Let's not make it complicated. Amen? All right, let's stand up, guys. It's already almost 12.15. I tell you that because I feel that here. And I know that's true about that man. Because every time when I watch him talk and he begins to cry, that man is sensitive to the heart of God. And it really blesses me. And I love your pastor and the leadership here. Why would I spend an entire day prophesying for seven hours? Maybe because I love the people here. Maybe because I care about you guys. Maybe because, and Tim's like, well, I said, Tim, whatever you want to do, man, I'll do it. Tammy, ask him, Tammy, whatever you want, I'll, I'll do it. I'll come, I'll do it. It's no problem. And we had a phenomenal time, didn't we, guys? We loved it. So I want you to put out your hands. I just want you, I want to pray for you guys real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Gateway Fellowship and the hearts that are on fire here in this room. And Lord, even in spite of what's burning, Father, I believe that they're going to burn brighter and hotter than they have ever have before. And I give you full permission in this place to take us back to the times and the moments where you encountered us in such a way that it changed everything. And I give you full permission to do it again in our lives. Whatever you have to do to bring us back to the place where we can confidently say, yes, I love you. Not because of what you can do for me, but because of who you are. You've won my heart with your kindness And I want to encounter your kindness and your goodness all the more because it leads to the transformation of my thinking, which then produces a transformation in my living. And Father, I know without a shred of a doubt, when we are on fire and when we burn, we are our most effective. And I understand the severity of what it means to walk away from our first love, to let things matter more that don't matter most. And so I'm asking and I'm praying again, Father. Lord, and some of us, maybe, maybe some of us in the room right now, we are repenting in our own heart and saying, Lord, 
I've allowed things to creep in that shouldn't have been there. So I'm asking again in the same way, Holy Spirit, you're the one that sheds abroad the love of God in our heart. And I'm asking again that you would baptize us again in first love. You're the only one that can do it. Like I said, it's not in my preaching. You're the only one that can come in the room and do that in our lives. You're the only one again that can stir up that passion and that fire and that fervency to say that all that matters is if I could just get through the crowd and touch him. If I can just look in his eyes, if I could just meet with him. And that's why I love so much about Mary and Martha. If there's anything that that story teaches us, it's not about behaving, it's about beholding. And you said Mary chose the better part. Only one thing matters. Only one thing matters. And I want to pray this over you guys because I really want to take the pressure off. Don't you ever forget that it was also Mary of Bethany who broke through in Matthew 26, anointed the Lord's head with oil, brought what was most precious and expensive. The disciples indignant, why this waste? We could have sold that and used that to give money to the poor. Jesus said, you always have the poor with you. Well, what this woman did, she did it to prepare me for burial. And everywhere this gospel is preached, what she did for me will be spoken of in memory of her. And that means this, Jesus did not tie his gospel to the dead being raised or the sick being healed. He said, I will tie my gospel to an act of extravagant love. Man, that's all he cares about. That's what matters most. Everywhere it's preached what she did. She never preached a sermon. She never taught a Bible study, never raised the dead, never healed the sick as far as we know. But she came and she loved him and he said, that's what matters. So just take the pressure off. Just be with him. Delight yourself in him. Enjoy him. Tell him who he is to you. Thank him for what he's done. Thank him for the forgiveness of sin. Thank him that you have access to him. Thank him for his grace that's changing you. You couldn't save yourself. You're not making yourself look like him. Grace comes to the humble, not the proud. Go lower. Say, God, I can't do it on my own. I can't give myself the heart that I want to have. I can't give myself the attitude that I want to have. Only you can do that. And by faith, I see that. And if grace came to me by faith and saved me, then my faith in your ability and the humility, you can't separate faith from humility. You're going low because you see only he can do it. They work in tandem. But pride and the religious spirit, they'll work together too. And pride will always hide behind a religious facade. That's why pride can come into a temple and say, geez, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Pride can still come before the presence of the Lord. It's just that God will oppose it. Why? Because he's angry? No, he's hoping that in the opposition you'll go low so he can raise you back up. But we preach humility a lot of times. Well, hey, if you want that position, just go low. He'll lift you up. He's lifting you up in him. He'll never take you out of humility. But Lord, I'm asking this morning, this afternoon, I know it's after 12, I give you full permission. God, grip their heart again. Captivate it again. Bring them back to the place where they burned and were zealous and on fire. And God, don't just bring them back to that place. Double that thing. 
Let their love for you bring increase. In Jesus' name. The pressure is off. I declare it in the name of Jesus. Everywhere this gospel is preached, what she did will be spoken of in memory of her. And here we are thousands of years later. Not because she was a missionary. Not because, wow, look at the thousands of people she led to the Lord. Listen, those are fruits of our love. But it's love that's celebrated. You see it? It's love that's held as the highest standard. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Well, I could sum it up this way. It's love. Love me. Second one's just like it. See, when I love him most, I'll love you best. The second's like the first. So I give you full permission to arrest us again. Man, (laughs) there's so much freedom in that, guys. There's so much freedom in just loving him. Just looking at him and saying, you're everything to me. Because it takes the pressure off when you look at him, then you're not looking at you. You're not looking at what's wrong or what hasn't been formed or what hasn't been developed. You need to understand and settle what you want, he wants. That's why you desire it. And when you delight in him, when you enjoy him, when you love him, when he's first, when he matters most, he gives you the desire of your heart. I'm not twisting his arm. I'm enjoying him. I'm saying there's nobody like you. Nobody's ever done for me what you've done. Nobody can do me like you. Where else would I go? You've got the words of eternal life. You make me feel alive. Every time you talk, I come alive. And just being with you and knowing that you're in me, Jesus, if you never do anything else, that's enough. And all the world should know about that. Love is the great motivator. Not fear, not punishment, not shame. Well, the enemy will use that against you and he'll get you busy real quick. He'll get you trying harder. And I'll tell you this right now. I have never, ever seen those that say, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to change that. I'll just try harder. I'll think different. I've never seen that do for an individual what only grace and surrender can do. God has the unique way of removing I from the equation so that he may get glory through your life. Why is it deny yourself, pick up your cross? Because it's the only way God can get glory out of a human being. When that person is no longer living for themselves, but is in submission to the reason for which they're created. I'm at my best when I love him most. And you know what? You can't make yourself love him. But he is more than willing to show you his love. And from that place, you better believe you can love him back with the love that he has for you. So Jesus, we give you full permission here at Gateway Fellowship. Thank you for the work that you're doing here. Jesus, I want to honor you right now. 
I want to honor the leadership. I want to honor Pastor Tim. I want to honor these people. I thank you so much. Rachel called it out earlier. Thank you for the hungry hearts. Thank you for the burning ones, Father. Thank you for the ones who are going to burn even brighter. Lord, thank you for the combustion that's happening in this place, the excitement that's on the rise, the shoot springing up. Father, we love, we honor, we miss, and we bless. Father, even those that have walked away, they're not our enemies. Jesus, we love them, we pray for them, we bless them. We ask for increase in their life. This is a safeguard to our hearts, guys. We bless them. We ask and pray that they would encounter what we're encountering in the room right now, that even they would be arrested again by first love, that they would love you all over again more and more and more and more. And I'll tell you this right now. My wife and I received a letter in the mail. I wasn't living for this. We weren't looking for this. We received a letter from a woman that was a dear, dear, dear friend of my family from the Lutheran Church. And she wrote and she said, I'm sorry for the way that I handled things. She was humble enough to say, I didn't understand what was happening then and I still don't understand it now. But she said for the last 10 years, all she could think about was our family and how she she treated us and how she walked away and how she followed the crowd and how she just assumed that we were nuts and we were crazy and we were all these different things. And for 10 years, and Nicole's response was, I got to write her right away. I got to let her know that I forgive her. She quit her job because she became racked with anxiety. She left the teaching field. And I can't help but to wonder if some of that was because of all the guilt and the condemnation, the shame she was putting herself under. The torment of how she treated us and how it haunted her. And Nicole said, I got to release her right away. I got to tell her we don't hold that against her. All the while, Nicole and I were living our lives for the last 10 years and she was in bondage. I guess maybe my point is there's so much power in forgiveness. There's so much power in love. There's so much power in humility. And we do serve a God who can reconcile relationships even if it's 10 years in the making. And we said, we release you, sweetheart. We never stopped loving you. And I understand why you reacted like that. Goodness, you, they didn't understand what the baptism of the Spirit was. They had no way to, they had no grid for that. They followed the crowd. They didn't search it out their own. They just went the way of popular opinion. They didn't know any different. So Lord, we bless those that were here. They're gone. Of course we mourn loss. Of course, Jesus, we miss them. And missing them is not the same as grief, guys. Don't mix them up. It's okay to miss people. It's okay to say, could you imagine what it was like if they're still here? But at the same time, that cannot delay what God wants to do and what God is doing. We fix our eyes on Him. And you know what? He's called the lifter of your head for a reason. So God, I, I, man, I take us into the sweetness of Jesus. Make us like Mary of Bethany.
who in the face of all the hustle and bustle and serving and clangor, clanging and banging was captivated by you. Captivated, that's the word. Smitten, overwhelmed, gripped, consumed, wowed, amazed, captured with him, his person, personality. So Father, I just want to say on behalf of everybody in this room, we love you and we love what you're doing. You're amazing. You never, you're not coming into a room and saying, I told you so. We need to talk about what you did. Don't you ever forget the freedom that prodigal son experienced was in his father's embrace and kiss, not his tongue lashing. Yeah, but, yeah, but Brian, yeah, but father, nope, he is not interested in talking about that. That will melt if you let him hug you. That'll melt when the kisses of his mouth touch you. Thanks for bringing us back to what matters. Thanks for bringing us back to simplicity. Thanks for stripping it all away. Thank you for the shoots bringing up out of the stump here at Gateway Church. Thank you for the smell of water, the roar of a shower. Thank you for, and man, Tim was singing it when he was singing Raise a Hallelujah. Out of the ashes, hope will arise. I can feel, I feel so much excitement in the room. Jesus, we love you. I bless my friends in this room. It is an honor to serve them, to love them, to spur one another on in love and good deeds, to challenge them, to say, let's do this thing. It's loving him. Let's keep it simple. Let's fall in love with him. I have a worship leader at our church and a lot of times there's pressures that worship leaders put on themselves. And I would often say to her, I said, Heather, your job is to fall in love with him on that stage and let us watch you do it. It's not about, well, we got to give the people what they want. It's about you giving him what he wants. You just fall in love with him. We'll follow you. We'll watch you do it. Man, does that make it so much more simple been looking out over an audience and oh my gosh they're not connecting they're not singing it's just I'll end with this it's the word that just keeps coming up my, my spirit God just arrest us captivate us so that we couldn't even dream of looking left or right we want to love you with every fiber of our being it's an honor to say God of course why wouldn't I want that why wouldn't I want to love you with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength? That's, that's when I'm at my best. That's what I was created for. You're the answer to his loneliness. That's what you were made for. Don't ever forget that. To love him. Why else is it the greatest command? Why else are you here? 
And from your love, of course we do radical things. Of course we give up our life. Of course we serve. Of course we give. Of course we volunteer. But it's not for those reasons alone. It's because the love of Christ, Paul says, compels me to do it. And I used to read that and think, well, it's the love of Christ that he has for people. It's the love that he had for Jesus that compelled him. And of course, because he loved Jesus, he loved the people. Obedience is easy when we love. So Lord, we give you full permission. Capture us again, grip us again, captivate us again. Make us like Peter. Make us like Mary. That wouldn't even dream of breaking our gaze because we are so in love, infatuated with you. Make us to burn in Jesus' name. The flame, come on, it's a baptism of Holy Spirit and fire. Make us to burn. Baptize us again in first love. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I've got tears all in my eyes. You guys good? I love you so much. Burn, guys. Don't make it complicated. Love him. Go low. Be at his feet. Enjoy him. In Jesus' name.